Um, first, this is first man you were talking about. Wildlife. 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 Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. The dog was doing something, so I didn't hear what movie you were talking now, about. Now, gentlemen, I have summoned you, my two trusted and loyal friends, to divulge a secret that even I myself can hardly comprehend. You've made a new discovery, Charles? A discovery? Yes. I have found another world. A what? Another world, you say? Exactly. Would you please snap off the lights, Doctor? Oh, that switch there. Yes, yeah, certainly. Gentlemen, I plan to enter that world in the movie. Astounding. Unbelievable. All right. Top top ten. Um yeah. so we're gonna do it. We're just going to each go from 10 to 1, but if there's any overlap with each of us for each number, we'll just kind of tag team Wait, them. These are ordered? Yeah, 10 to 1. What? Yeah, 10 to I 1. Don't, I don't, mine aren't ordered. You can just pick one, man. Like, I'm it doesn't have to be that difficult. I'm going to. All right. It is difficult. So anyway, you don't understand. These things hurt me. We're going I, can't, 10 to I, can't, I can't order them. It's like against my foundation. It's ridiculous. Well, <laughs> we're going 10 to 1, um, and... I guess we can start off by saying movies we haven't seen, just as a yeah. little bit of transparency. Oh, man. So, <laughs> I still haven't seen uh, Beale Street, um, Boy Erased, Buster Scruggs, Destroyer, um, The Favorite, Leave No Trace, Mid-90s, Thoroughbreds, and Wildlife. Those are all ones that I could conceivably see. Oh, having Jared, made my you, Jared, you didn't see Thoroughbreds? No. we talked about it. Oh, for some reason I thought you did. Oh, man, that's a bummer. No, and then Roma, also Roma. That's your oh, one. yeah, gotcha. Yeah. But that one's easy to catch up on, obviously. So. Yeah. yeah, a couple, a couple of those are pretty easy to catch up on now. Yeah. Um, uh, Max, what, what about you? What are the ones you haven't seen? So stuff, stuff that didn't that I, I want to see that I didn't get around to yet for whatever reason. Uh, uh, Li Cheng Dong's Burning, uh, Lucretia Martel's Zum, um, Josephine Decker's Madeline's Madeline. Which okay. I think is currently playing on Amazon. Uh, Pavel Pavelski's or Pavelkowski's, I think Pavel Pavelkowski's Cold War, uh, Searching, uh, Cam. And I think that's it. There are probably some others there that I've forgotten about. But those are the stuff that's, uh, that are like topping my like year end list, or as I call them uh, for the films that I see in between, you know, Oscar season and January. It's the Carol Awards, the films that I. Didn't get to add to my list, but you know, probably would have made the list otherwise. So my carols this year are those films. Cool. What about you, Phil? Uh, a couple of these I've added as we've been talking, but uh, now uh, Sisters Brothers, Searching, Leaving Our Trays, Buster Scruggs, Shoplifters, Weedy Animals, The Favorite, Eighth Grade, Burning, If Beale Street Could Talk, Creed Two, Suspiria, Mandy, and Wildlife. Oh shoot! I meant to have Mandy on mine as well. And uh, Will, what are just a couple years that you missed out on that might have made your list? Uh, definitely, if Beale Street could talk. Okay. Roma, Widows. There's three that come to mind cool. that I definitely wanted to see. Some, a lot of some of the ones you mentioned. Cool. Okay. Um, I'll go ahead and get started then with my number ten. I don't think anybody else is going to have this one. My number ten was Blind Spotting which oh i got i got that to my miss list (laughs) oh okay 
which uh, stars uh, David Diggs from the band Clipping and also from Hamilton um, and Rafael Casal. And this movie is actually a really good companion piece to Sorry to Bother You. Um, it's also set in Oakland. It's also sort of about race and gentrification, but it's more of a buddy comedy um, dramedy sort of vibe to it instead of like a scathing um, but well-made social satire. And I, in some ways I almost think of it as a better um, Friday with Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. Um, the chemistry between David Diggs and Rafael Castell is incredible because they've been friends for a long time um, off screen. Um, the way it deals with issues of like uh, probation and recidivism and also police violence is particularly adept and um, light-footed and it's just a really good movie the music's amazing too not surprisingly considering the v digs helped do the music so that's my number 10 blind spotting um max what's your number 10 so my number 10 is a film that i think if not all of you most of you said was in your missed list it's uh deborah granick's leave no trace Okay. Uh, which stars uh, Ben Foster and a young lady named Thomasin McKenzie, who's incredible. The film uh, is about, uh, it's a man and his daughter who are living in the woods of the Pacific Northwest, living away from the world. We don't quite understand why at first. Turns out he's a veteran with extreme PTSD and he doesn't want to live around people. And that's kind of driving a lot of this because her mother died when she was young. And so she's basically grown up all around this, but it's kind of her struggling with these notions of knowing that her relationship with her father is what's sort of kind of keeping him going, but she also knows that they can't keep running forever. So it's a film that kind of deals with that sort of struggle. It's shot beautifully. It's a really quiet, contemplative film. I saw it on a really rainy Sunday and it just, it, it moved me. It, ha it has some incredible moments. Ben Foster who's not somebody I think I would normally call subtle is great in it. Thomas and McKenzie, should be in this should get her some real interesting roles moving forward it's worth noting that deborah granick basically started the career of jennifer lawrence uh with yep. her film winter's bone back in what 2010 is that when that came out right around there yeah yeah still like, still one of my favorite movies of all time winter's a bone. movie i've still never seen uh, but uh <laughs> i can i could not recommend uh leave no trace enough it's it's fantastic awesome uh what's your uh number 10 Mission Impossible Fallout. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that needs much explanation. I mean, <laughs> it's one of the best action movies I've ever seen. So This is true. This is very true. Perfect. What makes it a good action movie? I just get yes. bored by action movies. I mean, I think it's... is it just the stunt choreography? I think it's the notion that like Tom Cruise is legitimately risking his life here. Like it, it, It's like he's a man who like they had to stop production on that movie for two months because he broke his ankle jumping between buildings and had rippling effects that affected the film justice league because henry cavill couldn't shave his mustache yeah. like it's a film that like it's wild that tom cruise is like over 50 and still doing this and like took like thousands of hours of like helicopter piloting lessons so we could fucking crash a helicopter. Can you imagine how like much it costs to insure that film though? I Tom know. Doing it's incredible though. Like, yeah. like it, it is the strangest thing. Like I didn't think I, I saw a ghost protocol on a lark. I'm like, Oh wait, this is actually kind of great. And that was, that was a Brad bird movie. 
And then yeah. Rogue Nation is this is the first Macquarie one. This is Chris Macquarie again. And like honestly, it's really well shot. It's pretty fun. Like it's it's not it doesn't take itself too seriously. Like it's it's just a quality action movie and like great stunts, great fights. Henry Cavill's this weird beefy man who can like cock his fists. Honestly, it's it's worth your time. Angela Bassett gives another good performance in that movie this year. Yeah, and also I think I liked it a lot. It didn't make my list, but I also liked it a lot because it had very clearly defined action set pieces. There's an amazing uh, motorcycle chase through Paris. Um, there's an amazing helicopter chase. There's a great like on foot chase, and the, they all just sort of seamlessly um, unfurl one right into another. So. And it's never frenetic, but it's also completely kinetic at the same time. Like yeah. it has a really good flow to all those scenes, and even the way they cut from one to the other. But it's it's easy to keep track of them, but yeah, you're totally engaged, and it's a special good time. Editing. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, what's your first uh, entry? <laughs> the Kindergarten Teacher. Ooh. Which I just saw it on Netflix, and I was like, oh, I like Maggie Gyllenhaal. This kind of looks interesting. So I watched it, and it's a remake, actually, of an Israeli film, mm-hmm. or like a reimagining. I don't know what you'd call it. And it's just totally mesmerizing. And what what's really interesting about it and why I put it on my – on this list what makes it make this list because it's probably not the best executed of a lot of the films we're going to talk about but it does some interesting things um the movie doesn't go in the direction you expect it to exactly and that's that's kind of why i like it it almost sets itself up to be a different kind of film and then maggie gyllenhaal's character you you have some like beliefs about the kind of person she is and what she's going to do sort of based on maybe tropes of other films and then as as the movie progresses, she reveals herself more and more. And it's kind of this ironic inverse that as she starts like behaving more, she starts behaving worse technically, but you start to like her more because she becomes more herself. Like the, the character she is at the beginning is, is like so cringy to me. Um, and then as she kind of breaks down, she again ironically becomes more likable and then just has this heartbreaking last scene and at the end you're like wondering like is what she was doing bad at all well this is is the problem with Netflix this is literally the first time I've heard about this movie yeah I wouldn't have heard about it except it's just like randomly yeah it's a Netflix movie it popped up and I was like I'll watch this and I definitely recommend it it's again it's not I don't think it's worthy of an Oscar but it's it's a very interesting movie and it's totally worth your time and it's it's fun and it's masterful in a lot of ways awesome i'm glad you brought that up because yeah i wouldn't have heard about that otherwise um my number nine and i don't know if anyone else has this one either uh my number nine is unsane by steven soderbergh oh yeah it's good um just a really good psycho thriller about um stalking (laughs) to boil it down to the simplest possible element um Claire Foy's character at the beginning of the movie has moved towns because she had a stalker that just got worse and worse and more invasive into her life. And so she moves to a new, more undescript kind of town um, and is starting to piece her life back together when she starts to think that her stalker has relocated along with her. And that's sort of the lit fuse that goes throughout the rest of the movie. The What makes this movie so distinct, along with um, searching, is that it's all shot 
um, via iPhone. And that really works well in terms of making this movie feel claustrophobic and paranoid and also invasive because it's on the kind of screen that it is. You feel like you're seeing things that you shouldn't be seeing. And in some kind of ways, it makes you feel like you're stalking this woman yourself. And that makes the movie all the more powerful and it helps you to identify with her plight even more than you already would. Um, so yeah, I really love that movie a lot. Claire Foy had a great year and was almost my pick for best actress for this year. And it's just another great Steven Soderbergh movie, and I'm glad he's back making movies again. So number nine for me is Unsane. Yeah, and that that movie I almost did as my underrated movie of the year because it is really excellent and it got good reviews, but not as good as I thought it deserved. Uh, Max, what's your number nine? So my number nine, let me let me consult my list again real quick. I, I do not have it initially in front of me. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that my number nine is, yes, uh, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, Barry Jenkins' film, uh, which oh, it's, it's wonderful. I, I keep saying that for every film here. Uh, so starring Stephen James, and I think uh, Kiki Lane, I believe, is the actress. Let me confirm that real quick. But so uh, it's a film about uh, a young couple who uh, are dealing with a significant hardship in their life. Uh, the young man, uh, yeah, Kiki Lane's the actress. Uh, Fani uh, is uh, sent to jail for a crime that we kind of learn about over the course of the film, whether or not that he, he very likely didn't commit. And uh, what Barry Jenkins kind of focuses on is the way that this couple is trying to deal with this incredible this incredibly difficult time in their life while Tish, the character of Kiki Lane, is also pregnant with Fani's baby. And they're they're not married, they're like young, but you know, they had intention to get married at some point in the near future. Uh, and it kind of goes back to their relationship and shows why this relationship is so strong, why this bond is so strong. And al- alongside that, you've got incredible uh, supporting performances from uh, from Brian Tyree Henry, which we talked about earlier in this episode, uh, from uh, Regina Hall, who is just, or sorry, God, Regina King. I keep getting my Regina's mixed up. Regina King, who plays uh, Tish's mother, who uh, takes a trip to, I think, I believe she goes down to Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic at one point, and has a whole like, it's a whole different storyline that kind of happens parallel to everything else. And she just nails it. And then uh, there's some supporting stuff from some other various guys. Uh, uh, Finn Whitruck and um, Dave Franco pop up in there. But the things that uh, really stuck out to me about this movie, especially now, uh, the Nicholas Bertel score is just swooning. It's, it's fantastic. Alongside the costume design, which I think makes itself evident pretty early on in the film. Uh, I yeah. want to see it again. I just haven't had the time to see it again, but it's it's a stunner. It's it, I know most of you haven't seen it yet, but it's it's absolutely worth your time. Yeah, no, that one's absolutely near the top of my pile of stuff I'm going to watch next of 2018 movies. As soon as so. I get a chance. Uh, Philip, what's your number nine? Roma. And I, to be fully transparent, I adjusted my list a little bit as we were talking here. Um, a bit, I, I bummed out uh, Once You Be My Neighbor because I actually I rewatched that again recently and I just decided that. but so Roma popped in number nine 
I mean, probably the most gorgeous movie shot this year, which is saying a lot because it's in black and white and it's up against things like Annihilation and Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, lots of colorful things. Um, I think more than anything, there's a couple of key scenes in this movie that really stick with me. And I think that's why it has the power that it does with me. It's by no means like my favorite movie of the year, but it's gorgeous. I mean, there's, that's, I think that's the, the key to this movie for me. Uh, Max, have you seen it already? Roma? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so spoiler, Roma is my number one of the year. That's uh, that, that is hands down the best film that I've seen. Uh, to, to quote, because I don't want to take credit for this because I didn't think this up myself, but uh, I believe the critic Priscilla Page said it's like watching someone else's dream, which is the closest I can describe to what that experience is like. Uh, I saw it as part of the St. Louis Film Festival back at the I guess beginning of November. I caught uh, a late screening of it the last night of the festival. So it's a 9.30 screening and it's a movie that just kind of washes over you. And you just kind of are entranced by it by the end. And it, it's, it's it's just beautifully shot. Quran shot it himself, kind of like the way Paul Thomas Anderson shot uh, Phantom Thread by himself. And the fact that it's an incredibly personal film, a film that he made uh, based on uh, the life of his own, uh, his own nanny who kind of helped raise him and his family and the importance that she plays in his, his life and like why she is an important figure to him. I think he adds that extra layer of depth that makes the film so, it's just, it's, it's so incredible to watch for that reason. And I, I still, I still have trouble talking about it. I didn't, I didn't write about it. I probably should have, but uh, the performances are fantastic. It, it kind of feels like I've, I've still not seen it, but uh, my friend compared it. Uh, my friend that I saw the film with compared it to children of men at one point. Uh, it's, Oh, I gotta stop swooning over these movies. I would say you definitely need time to process it some. Yeah. At least a a couple more weeks on it than I have. And it's still like, it's in my mind for sure, but it's still... There are images of that movie I will probably always remember. Uh, That that sound is great. It's a film that like really requires your patience and requires you to sit with it and really, really like... it, it, It asks a lot of you. And if you're willing to give that you're in for a real treat. And that's that's why I liked it so much. And I, I've also realized that I don't think Koran makes bad movies. Yeah, I think uh, it's also his best reviewed movie. And he's a director that's is. very well reviewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Gravity was pretty well reviewed. This is, this is even better reviewed, I think. Yeah, it's, it's available to everybody. I know a two and a half hour long uh, film in Spanish that's also black and white is a real tough sell for a lot of people. But it's it's a really special movie, and, but, uh, and I mean, for what it's worth, not just Spanish. Uh, it's oh yeah, in Mexicali, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 there's there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to it, and yeah, I, I wish I was, I, I wish I could be more uh, more eloquent about it than that. But it, it's a film. If you, if you can see it in a the theater, see it in a the theater. If you want to watch on your couch, watch on your couch. I don't think either way will color your experience one way or the other. I think it's pretty good. Just remember, it's not in color. Uh, well, what was your next one? Well, uh, Max got to talk about his favorite movie of the year, so I'm gonna do my favorite next, oh. which is <laughs> that. That was fucking up the whole order. Well, yeah, no, that, yeah that, that's, that's the intention. 
favorite movie this year it was uh, Minding the Gap, a documentary directed by Bing Liu. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty young, I think. Oh yeah. Um, is he still in film school? That's the impression no, I got oh, no, from. No, 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 he's not still in film school. He's he's been out. But uh, okay, it almost seemed he, like like that. I mean, it combines a lot of footage that he shot as a kid. Yeah, um, well, I mean, a, a lot of footage he shot as a kid, and it's a movie he's been working on for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's streaming on Hulu, so it's mm-hmm. pretty accessible, and I think it's just a really amazing testament to like what documentary can achieve mm-hmm. i think a lot of the films i usually watch are not documentary um but when i do watch a documentary that like is really powerful to me it does a lot more i think than what a fiction film can even ac- possibly accomplish um i think it maybe it's just a lot harder to reach those heights i don't know maybe i just don't watch enough documentaries but this movie uh being so he it's kind of a documentary about um like on its surface, it's about his friends that he grew up with. So he's a, a skater. He grew up in kind of like an impoverished area. Um, Rockford, Illinois. Where, where it is in Illinois. Rockford, yeah. Illinois. Rockford, Illinois. And so it's like, it's not really about skateboarding though. I mean, you see them skateboarding, but really you see these kids kind of grow up and he's exploring these questions of domestic violence and uh, like what growing up in certain impoverished circumstances really does to you and into your future and even what you can be and how frustrating that can be um, for the subjects to be kind of trapped in this like uh, cycle of violence and poverty and how it really shapes your life. And it's kind of, it's both really sad, um, but just powerful. And I think everyone should watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, it was my number three. Uh, it's, it's, it's a Marvel. I, I've seen a lot of docs and that one in, particular converses with a lot of fault lines in a really really interesting way whether it's the the cycles of abuse the way that uh a fault line like class kind of plays into that or a fault line like race and like how in some cases that doesn't matter as much as the notion that like in this deeply impoverished and like in a city like rockford that just got kind of eviscerated when like you know company towns kind of broke up and industries moved out like there's not a lot there and these guys are stuck in it and they don't even realize it until it's too late, which is uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. But yeah. it comes from such a personal place, and it's it's fantastic. It, it also is no surprise that it was picked up by Cartenquin Films and uh, was executive produced by Steve James, who did the uh, the film Hoop Dreams and The Interrupters and uh, I, I was, called I was, I was, I was Too Small to, to Jail. Yeah, Max, I was just about to say a great companion piece for this movie is, is Hoop Dreams in terms of mm-hmm. dealing with issues of class and race. And people just trying to escape um, where it is they where they're stuck at in life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you haven't seen Hoop Dreams either, watch Minding the Gap and watch Hoop Dreams because those are two of the best documentaries you'll ever watch that are even nominally about sports in some kind of way. Quick, I think the, first... the fact that he was actually friends with these people and that they meant a lot to him um, enabled him to get footage and get them to speak in ways that no director otherwise possibly could like because he has a, such an understanding of his subjects what, what's worth noting about it as well is that it this was shot over a number of years as well and uh th- those relationships kind of developed like they aren't like old school friends because I've, I've heard interviews with uh bing lu and i think the producer on the film whose name escapes me but there's an interview the podcast film spotting did with them because it's film starting to chicago podcast 
but uh, they they were subjects that he basically kind of found like shooting some skate videos and people that he knew sort of peripherally and kind oh, of really? got to know better through making this film. Yeah, it made it seem like they were like close childhood friends. Not 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 really. It's more that like the they kind of ran in similar circles, but like uh-huh. they weren't like friends. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think he also like the two of like the main subjects that he's filming. They're both uh, fairly intelligent and reflective people, or at least he's able to evoke that from them because you get some like pretty insight, insightful commentary from them, even as they're like commenting on their own lives, which I kind of surprised mm-hmm. me. I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot of transparency to it all. Mm-hmm. So quick personal note, I grew up an hour away from Rockford, Illinois, (laughs) so I had actually never heard of this movie until you guys started talking about it just now, but I'm very much interested in it, obviously. It'll break your heart, Philip. Yeah, it's it's one one of like three skateboard movies that came out this year. It's it's the only one of them that I've seen, but I've heard from a number of credible sources that it's probably the best of the three. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't seen it yet, but mid-90s would be the good narrative companion to this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in most cases, the people that I saw talking about it were less fans of mid-90s and tended to sway more toward uh, Mining the Gap. Okay, uh, I think we're at number eight now, if I'm yes. correct. Okay, uh, my number eight, um, A Star is Born. Did anybody else have A Star is Born? No, just no, barely missed six. my list. It's your number six, Philip? Yep. All right, so I'll make mine brief. Uh, at least once every year, Hollywood makes a really fucking good Hollywood movie and this year it was hands down a star is born. I don't even know what the second place finisher would be. Um the chemistry between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga is incredible. The music not surprisingly is amazing. Bradley Cooper um must have been spending enough time talking with Clint Eastwood about how to make the movie because he made a really confident movie. The concert footage in this movie holds up as like a fucking concert film um especially the opening scenes i think some of those in particular is some of the best concert footage i've ever seen in a movie um and it's also just a really good um romantic drama i still think the judy garland version is a little bit better but this is definitely the second best iteration of any of the stars born movies and is definitely the best hollywood movie that's come out this year what about you philip uh, I just keep hearing shallow over and over again in my head every time we bring this movie up. So, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I do sad. Uh, I don't know how much more there is to add to it, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't love it. <laughs> I th- I thought like it was it was fueled by Lady Gaga's charisma, which is a powerful fuel. Yep. Um no doubt uh who brad bradley cooper's character is just so unlikable to me that it made it hard like it made it hard to to watch the movie i didn't i couldn't understand why she liked him why she was with him he was just horrible yeah i mean i agree with that but at the same time i think more importantly he's relatable i mean you don't have to like him to be at least for me, like I can, I still, his story matters to me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, obviously like a character doesn't have to be likable to be a good character. I just found just like, I just didn't like him. I didn't like spending time with him. I didn't like him being on screen. I just wanted Lady Gaga and not him. And also great supporting performances by uh, two different stand-up comics, Dave Chappelle and Andrew Dice Clay, both really good in that movie. 
and um, Sam Elliott, another guy. Elliot, also amazing, and will probably get nominated, I would guess, for like supporting actor. Um, yeah, Max, what is your uh, number eight? So my number eight, I believe, is uh, the Paul Dano Zoe Kazan film Wildlife, excellent, uh, starring Carrie Mulligan, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Ed Oxenbold. Uh, it's um, it's adapted from a uh, adapted from a novel from I think the same guy who wrote Revolutionary Road, whose name is currently escaping me. But basically, it follows a family uh, who's recently moved to a, a small town. I think they're in like Northern California, maybe like the Pacific Northwest type area, or it's or it's like Montana, so somewhere somewhere out west, basically. And the father's lost his job and decides, you know, he he's kind of rudderless. And decides that what he wants to really do is go try and fight the wildfires, which sends his wife, played by Carrie Mulligan, into a frenzy because she thinks, you know, how can you do this? You're not providing for our family. You know, like it's tearing their marriage apart, essentially. So he goes off and uh, it basically turns into this fascinating piece of acting from Carrie Mulligan, who's acting opposite this son who's like 14 and is this perfect kind of sounding board for all of these things that seem wildly inappropriate to be telling a child, like, or at least even someone who's like a young adult, age like 14. And like, he has to deal with her trying to figure out, you know, like, what do I do now? How do I find myself with all this? When my husband has gone off, you know, he could die out there. Like he, he's abandoned us. Like, how do I provide now? And it's, it's her kind of discovering that and then maybe discovering that she never knew what she wanted in the first place and is trying to reason through that but in really inappropriate ways. It's it's quite great. Bill Camp is in it uh, for a while in that movie, but it's it is it's a frustrating, really really well thought out, well acted film. I I, I loved it. The theater I was in hated it. Uh, I saw it on a Sunday afternoon here in St. Louis with a crowd that was not into it. Uh, <laughs> like for real, dude at the end of the screening got up and said. That's two hours of my life. I'm never getting back after talking through most of the film <laughs> loudly to his wife, uh, which you know that's fun. But I loved it. It's it's beautiful. It's really really heart wrenching, and I could not recommend it more. Yeah, that's one I still need to see. I absolutely love a lot of those people you named, including Carrie Mulligan. At, at yeah. least ever since, I think even though she had older stuff that I've seen since, Drive is the first thing I remember her in. And she was incredible in that, and everything I've seen her in since has been the same. So, and then Jake Joan Hall is probably one of the most underrated actors around. So, yeah, I I I, I don't doubt that that uh, that makes a lot of sense. Philip, what's yeah, no, your uh, you were never really here, and I mean, honestly, anything that we've already talked about on another episode, I'll just kind of defer to that, um, which is both as time saver and a plug to go revisit our other episodes so yes yeah yep um yeah i will just chime in philip that was my number four for this year um just a really great uh meditation on like the cyclical nature of violence um a great diving into just like violence against children um it still probably features what i think is the best scene in any movie this year and that's a scene involving a funeral and that's all i really say um that i that that's going to be the scene from this year that i remember well past any other movie any other scene from any other movie including 
the movie that's my number one. There's not a scene in any movie I've seen this year that's as powerful and as well shot as that scene in that movie. A, so, a funeral that's also a baptism, actually. Yes. So, yeah, that, that was my number four. That was your number eight, and it's a, a damn incredible movie, and I'm glad that it came out. <laughs> um, Will, what's your next uh, entry, since you're not numbering any of these and just subverting uh, your whole system? My next uh, one I want to talk about is another Netflix movie, uh, the Black Mirror Bandersnatch movie. Damn, oh, this is a late entry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I heard about it. I haven't watched. I haven't watched any of the Black Mirror show, but it's supposed to be good, and it seems like something I would like. So there's really no reason I haven't watched it. I heard about this movie as like a choose-your-own, like interactive thing that Netflix was doing, and that did not appeal to me at all. <laughs> um. But I was kind of bored. So you had a lot of baggage going into this to not like it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I did. Well, no, I had some to like it, which was Black Mirror, something I probably will like. But uh, the the premise of it didn't appeal to me, which is uh, like a choose-your-own-adventure movie where you're making these choices. Uh, Because at at worst, when you do those kind of things, it's basically like four different movies, five different movies, and you randomly get one of them. And the the choice is kind of a gimmicky thing and it's almost like not a movie it's you might as well be playing a video game uh which i love video games but uh so i went into this with not very high expectations and damn it if they didn't integrate the fact that you're choosing things perfectly into the movie it's not like five different movies i've looked up what like other things are and and it becomes kind of clear as you're watching it it's not like five different movies and you can get one the fact that you're choosing is integrated both thematically into the movie and mechanically narratively um i don't want to give anything away beyond saying that because i think it's best just to watch it and see but it is is way more than a gimmick it's it's a foundational part of the film like you could not have this the movie couldn't exist without the fact that you're choosing things because it's kind of integral to the film itself um which makes it work and it and you're not choosing so often that it's like distracting and uh just i think the other thing with a movie like this is that uh the person would like want to see all the material or like or even when you're reading a book like this having to go back um and the movie handles that very well too i will say so you will be able to get to have like a full experience as you're watching it pretty much regardless of what you end up actually choosing just as a, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but just as a fun note to that, that almost is a sort of uh, maybe Black Mirror-esque consequence to watching the movie, um, Jess, Jesse uh, A from The Verge um, noted that the uh, interactivity in Bandersnatch could actually be used as a data mining tool for Netflix. Um, <laughs> kind of collect data on which decisions users take and how long it takes them to make those decisions. Um, to sort of note their personal preference for narrative storytelling. So just a really funny uh, consequence of the movie that I'm sure Black Mirror would make an episode about, maybe. Um, 18. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I think, sure. yeah, I think it'd be really hard to like make more movies like this that also worked because it's so specific to the plot of this movie. Right. Um, I don't know. Okay, so I think now we're at seven, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, my number seven, which I, I I might have the safest list so far in terms of no one else sharing these. Um, my number seven is Beast. Um, oh yeah, 
which another really well-made uh, psycho thriller. This one's set in England um, and involving a possible serial killer and a deeply psychologically damaged, actually they're both deeply psychologically damaged, um, woman um, who meets this guy. He sort of just like shows up one night and they first strike up a friendship and then later a sexual relationship. And it's just a really great atmospheric movie. Um, one of the quotes about it was a warped fairy tale. And that's sort of fitting too. Um, narrative wise, there's not really a lot of meat on the bone necessarily. There's a little bit of dealing with issues of class, um, but in an English sort of way, which is interesting. But it's mostly just about the atmosphere, and I actually love these sort of very atmospheric, fucked up uh, British movies, and this is one of the better ones I've seen like that. And the two main characters, Jesse Buckley and Johnny Flynn, have a great chemistry with one another, and you're constantly watching, not being able to figure out if they're as as fucked up as they both are, if they're actually good for each other because of that, or if they're absolutely terrible for each other because of that. And that's a sort of fascinating tension in the movie as well. So my number seven, uh, Beast. Um, Max, what is your number seven? So my number seven is a film called Shirkers, directed by uh, a woman named Sandy Tan. Uh, so Shirkers is a documentary... Well, not even documentary. It's a non-fiction film uh, about the first independent film made in Singapore. Uh, the women who kind of came together to make it and this American dude who tried to shepherd them through then stole all of the footage and it was lost for 30 years. And what it means when they found it again. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a more... I don't even know what the right way to put this. There, there's a, a, bit, a bit... Avant-garde is not the right word. But they take a really interesting uh, approach to talking about this film and talking about what happened and how these women kind of dealt with the fact that this film was destroyed, this film that they kind of poured their lives into for a few years and like the person they trusted and like learning who that person was and like all of these things and what brought them to film. It becomes this really, really beautiful image of like people brought together by film and kind of having that safety just ripped away from them and still finding a way back to it and like what it means to get this back to do what they can with the footage they've got and it it it, it turns into something just kind of magical by the end it's it's a really really special sort of non-fiction film it's probably not like other things that you've seen out there it's uh it's it's not a traditional documentary in a lot of ways and that's kind of what makes it fantastic it's, and this one's on really, i don't know if you really mentioned good. it it's, it's on Netflix. Yeah, it, it yes. got picked up by Netflix. I had friends who caught it at True False last year. Or, yeah, last year they caught it at True False and were raving about it. And I was mad that I didn't go see it. And it's it's the real deal. It's really, really good. Yeah, I haven't actually seen this one, but now I'm definitely going to add that to my queue. Um, it's it's like an hour 40, maybe. It's like a really, it's a pretty easy watch. And, like, it's pretty readily available. Perfect. Um, Philip, what's your number seven? Uh, can I actually go ahead and do seven through three? Because they're, they're actually things we've already reviewed and or I've already mentioned so far. Yeah, sure. That'll speed things up a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So seven, sorry to bother you. Okay. Uh, six, a star is born. Five, first reformed. Four, annihilation. 
and three three identical strangers. We didn't talk about three identical strangers, did we? No, we'll no, talk about it in another episode. Yeah, I mentioned it in like our top five of the year so far. Now, um, Jared, in our review of Annihilation, you compared it to 2001 A Space Odyssey. She also saw 2001 A Space Odyssey for the first time this year. Um, I don't know if I quite agree with you on that, but that said, I think Annihilation and First Reformed are the two movies that have most like gotten under my skin this year in good ways. Like they're the ones that that keep me up at night still. <laughs> so uh props to that <laughs> i second what philip said yeah first reformed definitely my top five um we'll, we'll get back to more first reformed in a little bit yeah a, a couple of those i'll i'll speak to once we get to okay. them but um yeah i uh annihilation just missed my list but i still hold that in incredibly well regard and it's more just this ended up being a really fucking strong year for movies and that's the only reason annihilation didn't make my list um will what's your uh next entry then uh that would be mandy okay uh, panos cosmatos movie it came out it had had like a limited run it's this it's a very visual kind of cerebral movie it, bar- it, it barely has a narrative to speak of it's it's almost just like an excuse to see nick cage commit violence um <laughs> but it just it's so atmosphere the way it captures the atmosphere that it wants to capture is just is just phenomenal and i have and i have never seen nick cage more better utilized than in this movie and i think it's if there's any other any doubt i think there's a community episode um where abed or it's referenced abed's taking a class called nick cage good or bad um the joke being it's like really hard to tell if he's a good or a bad actor i mean he has these movies that he is like uh, really great in and then he's obviously in these terrible movies where his acting is is pointed to as like comically bad but I think this movie ends that conversation is that in that he's definitely a good actor and he, his bad acting is probably just misused in those movies because this is one movie where both his kind of ability to be more serious and dramatic is utilized as is his kind of batshit insane behavior that we see in any of the compilations of Nick Cage screaming or whatever on YouTube um, is used to like perfect effect and in perfect uh, conjunction with one another. So if you are at all a Nick Cage fan, you should see it. And if you just want to see like some like psychedelic violence, you should also see it. It's just a beautiful movie. So, um, uh, sorry, Max. Is it on your list as well? Oh no, no, no. It's on. It's on my. It's on my misses. But I, I just want to like throw. One, I know you've seen it, Jared. And I just want to throw like one little quick thing there about Nicolas Cage's acting. Uh, I, he's also recently gone on record as calling himself the California Kinski uh, in reference to Klaus Kinski, which I think is the most accurate way you could describe his career up to this point. Yeah, he. It, it, part of it is just that he's in so many movies, so there are going to be some bad ones. But even this decade, he's had quite a few really fucking good movies including joe was a really perfect use of him too oh for really yeah good i decade. forgot about that movie oh, yeah man. he's also really well used in like kick-ass i think um, yes yes he is and i think that was still this decade i think just at the very beginning mm-hmm. of the decade um so this was my number one movie for the entire year um i fucking love this movie i saw it close to midnight um at a smaller theater in kansas city 
I was so happy that I saw it at that time of night because it was the absolutely perfect circumstances to see it. Um, you're right, Will. Nicolas Cage is used perfectly in this movie. I think it's one of the best performances he's given because he gets to be serious. He also gets to be funny. He gets to just be batshit crazy Nicolas Cage, including in a scene that's probably my second favorite scene of the whole year, other than the scene in You Were Never Really Here. There's a scene that also deals with grief in this movie with Nicolas Cage where he's in a bathroom and he drinks an entire bottle of vodka and then he just starts fucking screaming and just losing control and how raw and just like potent and unvarnished, like his rage and his grief and his agony is in that scene is something I haven't seen from a lot of like Hollywood actors in movies. And it's pretty incredible to watch. And there's just also a lot of bonkers violence in this movie. There's a scene where Nicholas it's a chainsaw fight. Uh, no, not even that. I was going to say there's a scene where Nicolas Cage lights a cigarette off of a flaming head, and that still maybe <laughs> isn't one of the five most bonkers things in this movie. Um, like Will said, it's super atmospheric. It's crazy. Um, it has some subtly trenchant social commentary, including some um, like male-female, me-too, power dynamics type of stuff, including with the cult leader in the movie who whips his dick out at one point and gets laughed at, which is a, a pretty great scene the way it plays out because it totally just kills his fucking like male cultish ego trip that he's on. So I can't recommend it enough for all those aspects. And then also um, it's the last, I don't remember because I think he had another one come out, but Johan Johansson oh. um, scored this and he, he passed away before it came out. If I have my timeline yes. correct. Yeah, um, this is this and, is the last. I believe this is his last credited one. Yeah, and the the Fantastic score is incredible. Score. And when it's not scored by original music by him, they found some perfect other songs to use. The movie opens with a fucking King Crimson song, and the <laughs> King Crimson song in there is so perfectly used. Um, just from start to finish, I don't think there's a single thing wrong with this movie. And it's almost exactly two hours, so it's not a huge investment. Um, so yeah, it's great to look at. It's great to listen to, and it's great to watch Nicolas Cage just fucking rage cage out. And then also to see, um, Andrea Riesbro who plays the titular Mandy, just be this really great, tragic kind of faded, um, character in the movie too. So I can't, can't speak highly enough of Mandy. I could see people being bored by it if you weren't into yeah. like, cause it, even though we've described it as having like this insane action sequences and there's a sequence where they, there's a chainsaw fight. Mick Cage like forges his own like weird war hammer ax thing. Yep. And a scene that makes almost no sense. Like some of the, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like it ends up playing as kind of a very slow movie, um, mm -hmm. which I don't mind, but no, th there was, there was someone after the movie and it took me so much restraint to not say anything that, the movie was done and me and my friend Brandon were both just absolutely giddy um, about the movie. And someone else just stood up and said, that was the most ponderous bullshit I've seen all year. <laughs> and I like just wanted to scream at them because like, I, I get it though. I do understand it, it but at the same ponderous. time, I, yeah, but it's a good kind of ponderous, I would yeah. say. Yeah. So I think we're, at, we're at number six now, right? Yes. Okay. My number six um is hereditary which our episode about that came out right yeah mm -hmm. yes okay, cool. so i won't talk about it too much um did anybody else have hereditary no 
Okay, cool. Um, so I won't talk about too much other than to say I think Tony Collette gave one of the best performances anybody's given this year in Hereditary. Um, Gabriel Byrne is still really great as her husband. And a great sort of way their dynamic was described um, on another podcast is the idea that's from the book uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, that like women just want to be heard and men just want to solve problems which perfectly explains in some ways like their relationship in that movie because gabriel Byrne is just trying to make what is happening better and it's impossible to do because what's happening in that movie is dark and fucked up and goes well above him and tony collette among other things clearly just needs an outlet for all of the pain and fucked up shit that's happened in her family and she isn't able to find really any healthy ones including her making models because even the models start to become very unhealthy too um it's other than mandy which you can argue about it being a horror movie i think mandy is a horror movie hereditary is the best horror movie i've seen the entire year again a really great um score in that one as well um great performances um i can't wait to see what the director does next because this was his first full-length feature film so, yeah, my number six for this year was Hereditary. Max, number six? Yeah, so my number six is a film we have a whole episode about. Uh, I'll be brief about it because uh, Philip was brief about it as well. Uh, it's Alex Garland's Annihilation. Great movie. Uh, beautiful uh, depiction of dealing with grief and mental health and a number of things in a really, really well-realized world like it's it's very different from its source material it does a lot of stuff really right and uh specifically i think the last 20 minutes of that film are just beautiful i i rewatched the dance sequence from that movie a few times since and if you watch david ehrlich's uh year-end like top 10 or top 25 countdown video uh he sets that dance among other clips to uh Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. And it's kind of incredible. Yeah. But so Annihilation. Watch it. It'll be out somewhere soon. Perfect. If it's not already out. Uh Will, what's your next entry? Eighth grade. Nice. Okay. I'm glad somebody yeah. had it on me. I'm a I'm a sucker for coming of age movies. Yeah. It's probably my favorite genre. I have another kind of coming of age movie on here that I mean um Talk to it when I get to it. I'll talk about eighth grade now. Uh, surprised that Bo Burnham did something kind of so poignant and you know, restrained. I don't know if that's the right word. It's just not, if if you don't like Bo Burnham's comedy at all, you could still like this movie very much. It's just a really solid movie about a girl in eighth grade, or she is she in eighth grade or about to go into eighth grade? I can't remember. She's in eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's about to go into high school. In just, I don't know. It's just really solid on that that front and um obviously i can't speak of what it's like to be a a girl of that age but it even if without that i can identify with a lot of the things just being a kid of that age and some of the social kind of awkwardness and uh insecurities and it's just kind of the really well done on all levels acting directing script yeah, there are two scenes in particular in that movie that also are going to stick with me for a while. One of them is just the whole way the the pool party um, thing unfurls in that movie when she goes oh. 
to the big cool kids party and is just so entirely uh, out of her element. Um, <laughs> Max, you said oaf, and that's like the emotional response I feel like anyone with a heart net would also have. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then my other one is a scene a little bit later in the movie um, where one of a friend's friend is like giving her a ride home and starts hitting on her and trying to get her to close off. And it's just so incredibly uncomfortable, like especially given our like current context, but it just in general anyway, I mean, <laughs> sexual encounters at that age are, awkward enough let alone if you're being pressured into that and really don't want to and don't understand what's happening and in some ways those are scenes are like two mirror images of each other because they're both about uncomfortability but obviously in, in two radically different sorts of ways and the uncomfortableness in those two scenes in particular is going to sit with me for a long time for sure um yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up well because that was another one that i wish i would have put on my list but I was, I was I was thinking as you were speaking how to better articulate like what I like about this or what makes it so good, and I think it's that especially when you're dealing with this age of of subject, it's a fine line to walk to not either be overly dramatic in the way that you're trying to kind of making them basically be adults, but yeah. played by children, or overly infantilized in kind of just making it more pure comedy or making them feel feel silly finding that right line where you're taking them seriously but but the the problems also feel real and the stakes feel appropriate in a non-exploitative way basically. yeah it's not like it, so it's not a um haha look at how these kids are taking themselves so seriously and we as adults are laughing at them oh, or too far in the other direction where it's uh, a soap opera and children happen to be enacting these roles like dawson's creek kind of thing dawson's creek that is, I mean, I was just, <laughs> no, that I know. You, is that just like funny. dating me? <laughs> it's, no, no, it's, it's just funny to me. Yeah. One Tree Hill, what have you? <laughs> I'm just trying to think of an of like a soap opera with kids. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we're at number five now, I think, right? Yes. Yes. Cool. All right. My number five. Uh, Widows by Steve McQueen. So my number um, two. That's your number two, Max. What about you? Yep. Uh, it's not. It's not on the top ten. It's in the twenty-five, though. Okay. What about Same you? I haven't seen. That's one I haven't seen. Okay. So Philip and I can tag in this one. Um. So I'm a sucker. Like, well, I'm a sucker for come of age movies, and I'm also a sucker for heist movies. And this is a fucking instant classic. Must be added to the canon of heist movies. Um. The cast in this is great, and it's radically different from every other heist movie because it's an all-female cast, basically. Um. I, I know that, entirely, but well, it's pretty cool. of, of the of the people that matter most to the heist. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is a heist movie where Viola Davis gets to kick ass and be in a heist, which is amazing. Um, that alone is worth seeing the movie for. But you've also got incredible performances by Brian Tyree Henry, like we talked about before, and his part in the movie. I almost wish there was just a separate movie about him running against Colin Farrell for the alderman position because. The politics in that movie, um, the way they're dealt with, the way local politics are dealt with in that movie is incredibly smart and really adept. And I, like I said, I would love to see that whole thing fleshed out. Daniel Kaluuya is absolutely terrifying in this fucking movie. <laughs> um, 
his scenes where he's um, torturing someone basically, like, are some of the most fear-inspiring shit I saw in a movie this entire year, including like Hereditary or Halloween or Annihilation. Um, that's just how good Daniel Kaluuya is in those scenes. And yeah, I'm, I'm just a sucker for heist movies. And this is a heist movie made by an incredible director, Steve McQueen, who did 12 Years a Slave and Shame um, and acted by some incredible actors, including Viola Davis, Brian Tyree Henry, Colin Farrell, Elizabeth Debicki, Michelle Rodriguez, Carrie Coon, um, Robert Duvall, etc. So yeah, number five, Widows. Philip, what did uh, you like about the movie? I mean, I think ultimately this is actually a relationship drama around yeah. the heist. And I, I mean, yeah, that, that's why, along with like the smart why I love this movie. Um, yeah, I would, I, would, like. I would agree with it being a, a definitely in a lot of ways a relationship movie. Yeah, yeah, like darn near, if not steals the show from Viola Davis <laughs> and deservedly so. Uh, I think I've actually only seen her otherwise in the Night Manager. Maybe I have seen her somewhere else, but um, she was great. Yeah, she was in Man from Uncle and uh, The Great Gatsby as well. Oh, she's she in Gatsby. Other... Yeah, she plays uh, Jordan Baker. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that was her first. That was like for, her first role. The, for me, the scene in particular that stays with me is when. Uh, Colin Farrell just kind of got called out by a journalist at like the public event and yep. he gets in his limo with his assistant yep. or chief, chief like political uh, um, and in the car the camera's on the hood looking more or less at the driver but even he's kind of out of focus behind the tint of the glass and they're having this like intense political conversation that kind of reveals all sorts of things about their personalities and at the same time it's the scene's a commentary on the fact that they, in like the span of two minutes, literally, they drive from like one of the poorer parts of this uh, district that he's an alderman in to like the most affluent part where he lives, of course. And like five different things are happening in that scene at once, and it all just perfectly fits together. It's amazing. Yeah, if you want to see just incredible filmmaking, that scene in particular is probably the greatest testament to how. Um, great of a filmmaker i just said great too many times but whatever um that scene is a testament to how great of a filmmaker steve mcqueen is so. yeah actually somehow this is only this is the only steve mcqueen movie i've seen and i definitely want to see more after this yeah um okay so that brings us to uh max what is your number five for this year uh my number five yes. uh so my number five is andrew bajalski's uh support the girls the girls, which stars uh, which stars Regina Hall and Haley Lee Richardson, uh, which is why I got my Regina's confused earlier because they're both in films that I really like this year. Um, but so the idea of this film is Andrew Bajalski basically made a movie about what what does the day look like from the eyes of a woman who manages a uh, a Hooters type restaurant. <laughs> And winds up coming off with this fascinating portrait of what a day in the life of this one restaurant called Double Whammies. It's off the highway in Texas, what it looks like there. And it's how she's trying to like, how, how she tries to make an environment that's like welcoming for the girls that work there. Like learning who these girls are, why they work here. Like, what do they have to go through to be working here? Like, it is this really, it's funny, it's deep. 
it, it, it gets at a lot of these ways that like this industry is really strange and like who are the people that run these things who are the people that go to these places and it, it, it comes off as this really awesome portrait of all of that and Haley Richardson gives a performance unlike any other character that she's played before. You've probably seen her in Split or Columbus or Edge of mm -hmm. Seventeen. God, that girl's gonna pop so soon because yeah. she deserves it. Her she she continues to just clock in performance after performance that is just great, and this is no different. Uh, and also, same with the with the rapper. Uh, she her stage name is Jungle Pussy. I'm trying to remember what her actual name is. I'm looking up on IMDb right now. But uh, support the girls. I believe it's available to rent on Amazon. It is super worth your time. Uh, and yeah, Andrew Bajalski made a truly, truly great film like this one. Uh, I caught it pretty later. Shayna McHale is her name. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a uh, it, it's a fun little movie that's worth your time to get around to. Perfect. Um, Will, what's your next entry? Since you still didn't rank any of them. <laughs> Uh, this is another coming-of-age movie that I have to admit I'm probably overrating because of I'm a sucker for coming-of-age movies. But Thoroughbreds, which is this kind of dark crime thriller about this girl and her uh, sort of like emotionally detached friend. They plot a murder. I guess you'd call it a dark comedy. And um, uh, just the interactions between these two girls and their friendships in the movie is completely fascinating. It's not like some of the other movies that are on this list. It doesn't have necessarily a deeper social message, at least not one that I intuited. Just kind of a fun thriller about a girl that tries to kill her stepdad and like employs her emotionally detached uh, friend or ex-friend, I guess you could, frenemy maybe, to, to help do it. Yeah, There's just a lot of funny moments. I wouldn't call her frenemy, but yeah, that we never talked about that movie on this show, but that was... That's lower down on my list as well. That's a it's a great movie. Also, uh, the guy who wrote that's from St. Louis. Nice. Yeah. I don't know, me, their it, relationship yeah. is is interesting. They're not exactly friends, I wouldn't say. No, but, but I wouldn't call them frenemies. And also, yeah. it has the last performance of Anton Yelkin as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, he plays this like dopey drug drug dealer. Mm -hmm. That might just have my favorite dialogue of the whole year, honestly. Yeah, it's a great dialogue in that movie. Now that one's that one's sitting in my pile of uh, movies I've picked up from bought from Redbox, so I definitely need to watch it because, like everything I've read about the movie and know about it, I know I'm gonna like it. So, yeah, if you're, um, if you're in for a dark comedy, and dark comedies are always good. I think it's it's uh, it's worth seeing. And it, it correct me if I'm wrong. Does it pretty much earn the uh, the shorthand of American Psycho meets Heather's? Hmm. I don't really see the American Psycho in there. I, mean, I think it is saying things about class, but it's not necessarily the central point of the movie either. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I definitely need to get on that one. So that was your next entry, which would be five if you ranked them. Um, on to number four, which I already said mine. My number four was You Were Never Really Here, which was also... Philip, that was your number four, or that was also somewhere on your list? Uh, that was my number eight. Okay, that was your number eight. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to say anything more about it. I already talked about it. Go see that and go check out our episode on that one. Max, what was your number four? So my number four has a film that I've been told to shut up about many times. I rewatched it again. Uh, Paddington 2. It is my favorite. Paddington 2. 
yeah. So it's uh, it's that funny little bear movie that I won't shut up about on the internet. Uh, though I resolved to shut up about it soon because I think no, I Max, I am over to- it. I have not seen it, but I'm totally with you. Like I've been hearing yeah. great reviews about both of those. Like I, I want to see it. I'm on yeah. board. See, that's the thing. It's great. I rewatched it again. I stand by it. It maybe should be higher, but it's a goddamn charmer. <laughs> It's a film that's all about, you know, like this bear who just like he wants to make everything better for the people around him (laughs) and wants to make a better world for these people. It's about bringing it's it's, it's basically a film about why Brexit is bad and like kind of like why these like anti-immigration notions are also not good. It's directed by the guy who directed all of the Mighty Booch. And God, the ending made me cry watching it a second time. It's so good. Hugh Grant gets a musical number. It's oh god, go watch Patty so, too. It's on HBO now. Basically, what you're saying is that every anti-right rally should be led by Paddington, like a guy in a Paddington suit, right? Oh sure, pa- Paddington is you know he's he's the hero the left needs, I guess. <laughs> now, what I I will tell anyone listening to this that you might need to know is that Max is actually a talking bear who likes jelly sandwiches. Yes. So, oh yeah, yeah. Marmalade, marmalade. What? I don't give a fuck. Blue duffel coat, my big red bucket hat. Like I'm the lead singer of Weedus. Does that that not come through over audio? No, no, no exactly. Um, Max also if, from Peru, but doesn't speak Spanish. Am I right? Yes, darkest Peru. Yes. Max. Um, and he just he just wants to give a, Aunt Lucy a pop up book. But Peter Capaldi doesn't want him to. He thinks he's a nuisance. But then Paddington goes to jail because uh, he gets threatened for a crime. Okay, and then Max. He meets Brendan Gleeson, who plays a cook that he makes friends with. His name is Knuckles McGinty. <laughs> Max, you're losing my allyship here. <laughs> oh God, just just go watch it. Just watch Paddington Two. Max, if there was if there was a crossover between Paddington Two and Magic Mike XXL. How in on that oh. movie would you be? <laughs> oh, entirely. You, you, you must not have seen when I compared the two when I first saw it back in January. Because I did that and got yelled at by three different people. <laughs> so that, that movie would basically be them like incepting your brain and making it a movie. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, I knew you were going to bring it up at some point. I just didn't know when it was going to be. So it was like playing Minefield on Sporkle or something. I get you, yeah. Um, Philip, what is your number four? Uh, well, I said it already. It's Annihilation. Okay, that's right. Um, and Will, what is your next entry? Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's my number one. Right. I think it's easily the best superhero movie. Yeah, I want to say the best uh, feature-length, wide-release superhero movie. The animation's incredible. I think Sony even is like I don't really like this, but Sony developed a whole technique for animating it that like combines digital and hand drawn that I think they're patenting, which is stupid. Wait, um, what? It, oh, for 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 the for the animation style? Yeah. Why do you think it's pat- stupid? I think it's stupid that they're patenting it. No, why do you why 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 you why do you think that's dumb? I I don't. Well, it's not. It's smart financially, but I don't like the idea of that being patented. I don't. I don't. I don't really like patent. Uh, I, I like don't really like copyright a whole lot to begin with, uh, that kind of stuff. So AAC, sorry to bother you. <laughs> I'm not yes, sure. I'm yeah. happy about. I'm not sure. Sorry to bother you is probably my number one film from the year. <laughs> but 
in any case, it looks amazing. Um, it reinforces my belief going in that like to tell a good superhero movie, it really has to be animated. Um, great music, despite the fact that I know Jared will be mad that there's a Post Malone song in it, which made him instantly hate it. <laughs> Yo, but Spider-Man sings Jingle Bells, which is also pretty great. Um, I don't care. But- Fucking Post Malone is in it, and I gotta say, I gotta say something about Post Malone. Something I don't understand. Granted, there's a lot of like very sketchy white, like straight dudes that love Post Malone. But I'm on Tinder because I'm a single man who's desperate and needs, you know needs affection. Um, there are so many straight white women on Tinder that fucking their Spotify song, and I don't understand it. And all of us need to just be better collectively and not listen to Post Malone anymore. Yeah. So that's why I want to pick with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. That's the 2018 uh, hot take from Jeremy. Other than the Post Malone song, would you agree that the the um, soundtrack is pretty on point? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. It's a great soundtrack to a kid growing up in, in New York, for sure. And it, it, yeah. it, it has, like, this kind of off-the-wall story. I mean, a, a quintessential, like... Ridic- the ridiculousness of what superhero stories can be with like multiple timelines and things like that um and so you get like a bunch of different spider-man and they're spider people and they're all uh, charming in their own way my only complaint is that there's like not enough of some of the other spider people even though i think miles morales is a is an excellent uh vehicle it's he's like the main spider-man of the movie which which is great because I, a miles morales movie um i've been wanting for a long time pretty much ever since uh the comics existed and and they just marry them so well together i don't think the story is in in script is necessarily like trenchant or um uh doesn't really do more beyond entertain you but that I have no problem with that. In it. Yeah, so it doesn't have to. Like it's it's a no, it absolutely so it's a doesn't. film made for children. Like you know, no. there's only well, so much so you can Paddington, do. Well, so Paddington, right? Yeah, but th- th- there's a difference between what Paddington's doing and what Spider-Man into the Spider Verse is doing. Um, yeah, anyway, I'll say it's a fantastic movie. As, as just beautiful. as a testament to the quality of the movie overall, um, my mom came up here for Christmas since I was on call for the newspaper, and there wasn't a lot showing that either one of us hadn't seen, but uh, Spider-Man and Spider-Verse was one of the movies. And we went and saw it. My mom doesn't really like animated movies, and she doesn't really like superhero movies, and she still really likes Spider-Man and Spider-Verse. So it's just a really fun, but also really, yeah, sweet and charming movie. And, well, I think you talked about it before in our group chat, that one of the reasons you sort of liked it, too, was that it's also a superhero movie about a kid that doesn't really want to be a superhero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least well, just skeptical I- about being Superhero. And, and, the, and the other the other thread of that that I also really like is that it's also low key uh, a Spider Man having a midlife crisis, yes. like a, an existential midlife crisis movie, like a Spider Man who doesn't really want to be Spider Man anymore, but is forced to like kind of come out of retirement, like help the new Spider Man kind of figure it out. Like that's the other thread of that that I really liked was the Peter B. Now, Parker stuff, where it's like you know Spider Man broke his back and like he's you know divorced and like doesn't quite know how to get it together. Now, one one thing I will say that was kind of interesting to hear as a criticism from uh, my friend Michael, which I hadn't considered until he said it, and then it made me think about it a lot, is um, since it is an animated movie, obviously you lean a lot on the the vocal talent. And I don't necessarily know. Then he pointed this out. He said one of the things he didn't like about the movie is that he didn't necessarily think Jake Johnson is a great vocal talent. And 
once he said that, I really thought about that in the lineup. I was like, he's kind of right. Jake Johnson isn't necessarily great as like a voice actor. I, um, which character was he? I disagree with that. I disagree with that the, a lot. He's the reluctant Spider-Man. He's Peter B. Parker. Yeah. yeah, I thought I thought he was great. Yeah, no, for Peter for B. what Parker. that character is for like a for like a schlubby dude who's like trying to figure out that's like Jake Johnson's mo. Like, yeah. that's who he's played since he like got big on New Girl. Like, that's just kind of who he is. I think that fits that character perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe having that cachet makes that performance better. But like, I don't yeah. know. I, I loved all of the choices there. Chris Pine was a great Spider-Man too. Yes, he was. I also like what they did with like um, the what they did with like the Green Goblin was pretty cool, even though that was a short little bit. Um, That's that's the uh, that's the Ultimate version of it. Uh, In the Ultimate Universe, that's where the Green Goblin is, even though I think he's on fire in the Ultimate Universe. Same thing with the same thing with Doctor Octopus. That was also great. Oh yeah, Catherine Han. Like I was watching, like wait, shit, is that Catherine Han doing Doctor Octopus? That's great. Yeah, and then Nicolas Cage again, also in this movie, is the noir <laughs> Spider-Man, which is okay. Spider-Man noir. Let, let's just let's like note this. Nicolas Cage this year has played Superman, Spider-Man, and a guy who like takes serious revenge and chugs an entire bottle of vodka in his bathroom in his underwear. Dude's yep. having a hell of a year. Not to mention he like drops that super acid. I still haven't seen Mandy, so I don't actually oh, know okay. what that means. But he was also uh well I guess There's it was like twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen. He was also in a movie about parents trying to yes. kill yeah, yeah yeah mom and dad <laughs> which yep. i also saw yeah my friend my <laughs> yeah, friend ben was fine. like really wanting to watch that when he was in town this past weekend it's yeah, that's a great that's a great movie um okay perfect uh i don't even know where we are now are we that was yours will yeah okay so we're never three. okay so uh my number three which we've also talked about before was sorry to bother you um, I'm sure somebody else had it too. Number seven. Number seven, yeah. And then what was yours, Will? You I said, had it on there as well. You said it would be number one, though, probably. A uh, number two, maybe behind Mining the Gap. Up okay. there with Mining the Gap. All right. Um, the top three. We, we talked about it on a whole episode before, but just again briefly. Uh, Tessa Thompson's great in this movie. Lakeith Stanfield is like one of my favorite actors working. That's under thirty. Um, that dude is so funny and can also be incredibly serious and just has. A great on-screen presence um and it's so hard to do good satire not good comedy there's plenty of good comedies but good satires are a lot harder to come by and i think this one is a near perfect satire and i rewatched robocop not that long ago and this one is just as good as robocop was in offering like a very trenchant takedown of America in the 80s, but sped forward to America now. Um, and it's really taking down a lot of the same themes that uh, RoboCop did just 30 years later um, with consumerism and, you know, uh, militarized police force, um, work issues, economic issues, race issues. Although Which is a testament to our system. <laughs> Yeah, I guess RoboCop didn't necessarily deal with as many race issues, but um, speaking of uh, RoboCop in this year, though, Upgrade, yes, like got a similar feel. Yeah, Even Upgrade was also yeah just, a really good satire for sure. It was RoboCop, but it 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 definitely embodied the spirit of RoboCop way better than the RoboCop remake that came out like fairly recently. And then also with RoboCop, and I guess Upgrade didn't have this as much, but it also started to bother you. Worked really well as just a takedown 
of what we're willing to tolerate with our entertainment and with our media. Um, and that's true also of like super or, uh, Starship Troopers too. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of substance with Sarah Dabadu and also a lot of style. So it really hits on both of those fronts, I would say. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Oh, I mean, we talked about it more in our review, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, you didn't mention Army Hammer either. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yep. Doing enough blow to make Tony Montana jealous. <laughs> Shooting rhinos. Um, Max, what's your number three? So my number three is a movie we already talked about. It was uh, My Name Again. Okay. Perfect. Um, Philip? Uh, we've gone through my list now. Uh, Spider Verse is my number one, so. Okay. Um, all right. Man, uh, Will, what would be your next one? Uh, we talked about You Were Never Really Here, right? Yep. Talk about that. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Now we're starting to really go through them. Um, so back to me already. Uh, my number two, which we also talked about in an episode, but since we're getting near the end, I'll, I'll stretch it out just a second. Uh, my number two was First Reformed. Um, Paul Schrader is someone who's been making movies for, yeah, for four decades. Um, he's responsible for Taxi Driver, and did he write the script for, he didn't write the script for Raging Bull, did he, Max? Ooh, that I do not know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you, I, I can look it up real quick. But he has, yeah, he, he, has, he's, he has a career, he's got a career of his own as well with Mishima, Autofocus, Dominion, like, he, he, dude has his own stuff in his own right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, he did. He wrote uh, He wrote Taxi Driver, he wrote Raging Bull, he wrote Last Temptation of Christ, and he wrote Bringing Out the Dead. He also has Nicolas Cage and is one of Scorsese's better movies. So, I mean, in addition to writing three unimpeachable classics and a fourth really good movie, he's had an incredible directing career all his own, but First Reformed is the apotheosis of his entire career. Um, Ethan Hawke is probably going to be on the inside track for the Oscars, I would think. If he's not, he should. Yeah, I guess maybe Christian Bale for Vice because of the physical transformation is another one. Um, but yeah, e- Ethan Hawke is incredible in the movie. Hell, Cedric the Entertainer is incredible in the movie like we talked yeah. about on that episode. Um, Amanda Seyfried, uh, the, uh, Philip, um, oh, what's that man's name? Uh, the guy who plays the husband in that movie. Um, um, yeah. Philip Edinger. Philip Edinger. Yes. Um, I, I like this movie in some reasons for the exact opposite reasons that I like Mandy. Um, movies. The reason I like Mandy so much is that movies should try to be, I think, a lot of times as bold and untethered um, to reality as possible because film is such an like a unbounded canvas. But um, First Reformed is a lot more grounded, except for the very surreal scene that happens in it, where quite literally it's not grounded. Um, but it's just a very sparse, very lean movie that's very heavy and gets into a lot of different topics that again like sorry to bother you feels incredibly important for our times in the best sort of way even though it's about a preacher it never really feels preachy i don't think except for maybe one character that's intentionally kind of regarded as a sort of preachy um kind of guy and yeah it's just a beautiful movie it's well acted it's well shot um it's paced incredibly well like it doesn't feel like a chore to watch even as heavy as it gets and it has an incredible final scene there's there's not much wrong with the movie even if i tried to sit here for you know an hour and 
pick it apart in negative ways, I wouldn't be able to come up with much. So, I, yeah. I was listening no. to NPR a few days ago, and uh, Ethan Hawke was on there talking about something else. And that just like brought back to me his voice from First Reformed. And yeah. I, all of a sudden, I really wanted to get like an audiobook of him narrating. And there are two out there, by the way uh, Slaughterhouse Five and Call of the Wild. So, Wait, really? Yeah. yeah I, I'd I, love I just to hear Ethan Hawke read Slaughterhouse Five. That sounds incredible. <laughs> I just. Slam like a month ago, so I'll probably go for Call of the Wild, but yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, so to, to piggyback off Jared, my number two is also First Reformed. Uh, that movie. <laughs> Jared, Jared, Jared has summed it up. It's it's awesome. I think it's beautiful. Still, I still think about it. I probably won't stop thinking about it. Uh, not not for, not for a long time, you know. Uh, yeah, and Ethan Hawke really should be in the Oscar conversation. He's kind of been – it's been kind of radio silent on anybody in that conversation right now. It's so stratified this year. Like, we don't even know if the Oscar, the what's even going to happen with the Oscars this year, let alone who's nominated for stuff yet. Yeah. I think we'll have a better sense when the Golden Globes happen in a few weeks. Yeah. And honestly, um, I, I like, what sometimes I do care about movies being awarded, even though I know I shouldn't, just because it'll keep them – alive in the conversation and that's why i end up caring so much i don't think it matters with first reformed i think first reformed even though it had a pretty small release is so good a movie that people will keep finding it and discovering it and yes. it's not gonna have any problem finding audiences no so. no and i don't think I, I, frankly i don't think i was ever the problem with it like the theater that i saw it in like a couple weeks after it opened it was it was entirely full it was a packed house yeah. i feel like if i was picking the criterion collection for like 30 years from now. Uh, I don't think first for Jared, I think life of its own. Uh, I would probably stick here whenever we hear the widows on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, those are also films. Does well, I, I guess, yeah, no, both of them, both of those directors have films that are already in the collection as well. Mm-hmm. Steve McQueen's Hunger and Lynn Ramsey's Ratcatcher are both in the Cartoon Collection. But yeah, I, I first reformed, but also that's actually not a bad game to play of like what's, what would eventually be a Criterion movie. Oh, I first can definitely reformed, see first reformed being there too. Yeah. Yeah. Mandy, not so much. Oh, no. I can, <laughs> well, you I, never I, I know. can actually see Mandy getting it. They put yeah, Repo Man in there, man. Like, that's true. That's true. Anything could happen. The house is in there. They tend to like pick things that are like groundbreaking in some way. Yeah. Actually, sorry to bother you, Mike. Work for that too. Um, well, yeah, and I guess RoboCop is in there. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, Matt, you, your number two was also first reformed. Phillips, yes, it was. You, your number two was? Uh, Windows. Windows. And Matt, well, what would be your next one? Uh, first reformed also. All right, perfect. A, a excellent movie. I think it's a really good example of when a movie is working on all levels of film, from the script to the acting to the cinematography to the music where they're just in perfect sync to just manipulate your emotions and, and make you feel a certain way, simultaneously entertain you and, like, make you think about things. This is another one where I'll cite my mom, actually, too. And near the beginning of the movie, she was a little bored by it and was complaining a little bit. But then, yeah, by the end, like, she she was crying at the end, and she just, like, was silent for a little bit other than, like, crying a little bit because it was just, like it's that fucking powerful movie if you just fully sing into it so yeah it's the kind of movie where you do not talk on the car ride home no 
Which in in that way, it's a great companion to 